Hi, Lisa. How are you? I'm wonderful, Jason. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me today. Oh, thank you so much for joining the uh, Now at Work podcast. This uh, world we live in now has uh, given me the extreme uh, pleasure to be able to talk to amazing people, uh, and it's so fun to have you uh, on and spend some time with you and uh, you know learn about your past to a degree, but also you know learn about the future with you. So thanks for taking the time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's unfortunate that we're in the situation that we are, but what it has done uh, is it's allowed me to reconnect with people like you and and Molly and Trish and others that I only maybe talk to once or twice a year. I'm on these virtual calls with some of you every single week now, so it's it's a uh, it's one of the benefits. And it's so. I mean, the other thing. Uh, sorry, I don't want to get too far off track, but it's amazing how much better, at least personally, we are together. Yes. Uh, every time I talk to someone, I learn. 10 new things that kind of all go into a blender to, to build my thinking forward. So, Excellent. so great. So, Hey, I love for people that don't know Lisa Sterling, oh, who's that? But for people who don't know Lisa Sterling, you know, tell us a little about your background and, uh, and why you're a superstar in the HR space. <laughs> oh, that's very nice. Um, you know, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm very honored that I grew up and, and feel very fortunate that I grew up with what I would consider a non-traditional HR background. Um, I'm a sales and product person, really um, through and through. I, I started in the behavioral assessment uh, space when I was very young in my career and got really interested in understanding the science behind why people are the way they are and, and understanding the differences between strengths and non-strengths. And so I use that kind of as a launching point to spend a good portion of my time working in the technology industry in the HCM space. I, I've always stayed in kind of that talent management area because I love, I love that piece where you're impacting individuals and people within organizations. And so I, I had a number of different roles uh, at Conexa, Ultimate Software, Mercer, um, that were around consulting. I've been in product for a number of years. I've, I've sold HCM technology. And I've also ran operations for some of the most uh, significant employee engagement programs for very large global organizations. And so you know, I, I joke about the fact that I feel like I, I land in, in HR. Um, I had spent the whole first half of my career avoiding HR because of what it stood for uh, and the unfortunate stigmatism that was around it. But um, I've spent the past five years at Ceridian, not in what I would consider in a, a traditional HR role, but truly in a transformational people and culture role. Um, we, we really had an opportunity when I joined Ceridian to go through a radical cultural transformation. We were known for all the wrong reasons. On Glassdoor, um, our engagement scores were not anywhere near where we wanted. And it was an opportunity for me to step in and leverage all of the experiences I had had across the, you know, the, the time of my career to come in and, and work alongside some amazing leaders like David Ossip and, and some others to drive that transformation. And we took what I would consider unconditional, or excuse me, um, un, I'm not even sure what word I want to use, non-traditional uh, approaches to the way that we were going to go after things. They, they were somewhat disruptive. Uh, we were really on this, this journey to try to do things really, really different and try to give power back to our people. And it led the organization through 
just the absolute best uh, experiences possible. We went from being one of the lowest rated companies on Glassdoor to one of the highest rated. You know, we've been recognized or, or Ceridian has been recognized for lots of different awards for their culture, for their employee programs. And I as well have been um, the recipient of a number of wonderful accolades and awards for what I've been able to do in terms of, of leading and inspiring a group of 5,000 people to do wonderful things. So yeah, no, uh, I'm I mean, incredibly think, fortunate. Yeah, I mean, I think that that's amazing. And the fact that you weren't born or weren't raised to be in HR, um, you know, but ended up in HR, didn't even necessarily think of yourself in HR, but thought of you, know, you explained to this people and culture, you know, is fascinating. One of the things that I'm always fascinated with is for in, with people like yourself. Uh, is what you learned on the outside about HR that you didn't want to be uh, so that when you did move into that role, you made sure you weren't that. And so I think a lot of people struggle with that. And how do they not just adopt the status quo of HR, but truly flip the script and say, I'm going to do this differently. So you said you were afforded the opportunity for transformation, which is great. But how did you not fall back in traditional HR practices? Well, so there's a couple of things. One, I, again, I, I mentioned this earlier, I was surrounded by a leadership team who had unique yet um, similar perspectives on what we wanted the organization to be known for and what we wanted to do in terms of, of really putting people at the heart of what we do. And I think that's one of the areas where a lot of CHROs fall down or don't have the level of success that they desire is maybe the kind of that group that they're with, the COO, the CEO, the CFO are not all on the same page. They have different. I'm going I'm to just pick on that for a second. Just mm -hmm. because I want to make sure I, I mean, you're one of these people I can have this brutally honest conversation with. Absolutely. So every CEO is going to say people are their most important asset. Every <laughs> CEO is going to say, you mean, you said people are at the heart of our business. Like every CEO is going to say people are at the heart of our business. Now you're saying, hey, the reason I got to do this is because I have a CEO who said people are at the heart of our business. So how do you separate the, the truth versus the, the lipstick, per se? Well, I mean, it's for us, it, it was super simple. Um, we went out and we spoke to the people closest to the action. We spoke to the lowest paid employees in the organization. We got their perspective on what they believed. And I've done this in other organizations where we've had CEOs that have said, oh, yes, we're so people-driven. And when you go talk to the people, their, their perceptions and what they see in terms of the behaviors of those senior leaders that you're talking about, there's a massive disconnect. And so it's one thing, as you said, to, to sit here on your, you know, at, your, at your seat at the table and say a certain series of things, but your behaviors are what people witness and they're what people gravitate towards. And I think for us, we were super deliberate in going out and really understanding what our people believed we were doing, who we were, what we were aspiring to be. And we realized that some of our behaviors back in, you know, before this transformation had to change because we weren't walking the talk, so to speak. We were saying one thing, but we hadn't behaved in that way. And, and when David stepped into this role, things grossly changed. I mean, yeah. he was the, the poster child for changing and disrupting behaviors. So, you know, one of the things that drives me crazy, yet I want you to tell us whether it's, well, tell us what, why it is. So, you know, there's organizations we talk to all the time that will say, you know, of course, Serena is the best place to work, or of course, Workday is the best place to work, or of course, Ultimate's the best place to work, because they have HR software. 
And, you know, I, I kind of, I mean, I, sorry, I made you laugh. I mean, I kind of laugh at it, you know, as you just did, because I'm like, dude, I, I'm not really sure any of that has to do with the fact that they have HR software and that they make HR software. Like, it doesn't hurt. But as far as the percentage of reason that they're one of the best places to work, it's not because they make HR software. Uh, I hear organizations use that as an excuse why they can't be that uh, because they don't make HR software or don't have access to HR software like you might. Can you just talk about that a little and un kind of unravel that? I believe you think it's a myth based on your reaction, but unravel that myth a little. Absolutely. And, and it's, it's funny because I've gotten to the point when I'm doing a speaking engagement, I always preface when I start this that like, look, we didn't get here because we are an HR technology company. My, and I joke all the time saying, you know, my HR budget is probably smaller than most of the people that are sitting in the audience of the, 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 the um, opportunities that I get to speak in front of. And, and but you got the software for free, so that's what <laughs> makes a great place to work, right? You know what? Here's the thing. I mean, you know this. I'm, I'm speaking, um, I'm preaching to the choir here. Technology is an enabler. And we all use HCM technology because we design it at Ceridian has zero to do with the reasons why we are successful. Do we drink our own champagne? Absolutely. Um, we've always been an, an, a huge advocate and champion for using the technology, but all of our customers have exactly the same experience. We don't have a customized version of the software at Ceridian. It's a different mindset. And, and I think that's one of the things that also frustrates me is, is not just HCM companies were better because of it, but they always say to technology companies, well, you're different. You hire different people. Yeah. We all hire humans. We're not, we're, they're not different people. They might have a different set of skills or a different background or a different set of behaviors, but they're human beings and they all have the same expectations of the company that they go to work for. And so like, it, it drives me crazy when people say, well, you guys can do this type of stuff simply because of those two things. You're a technology company and you design your own software. That has nothing to do with it. It's, it's how people behave. It's the beliefs and the philosophies that they have. And quite frankly, you can have great software and let's, let's all be honest about it. If you've got terrible leaders and terrible people out there not inspiring and motivating your people, we would be unsuccessful. We had to make really hard decisions when we first went on this journey that, hey, we had leaders that shouldn't be leading people. We had people who did not fit with the new kind of regime and culture that we were trying to build. Um, my request was always like, hey, just make sure when you're saying you know, goodbye that it's a graceful and delightful exit, but you have to come to realize not everybody is going to be part of the next journey. Yeah. Um, so it's not about the technology, but yes, that, that drives me crazy when people say that. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I didn't wasn't planning to go there, but I, okay. I had to bring it up as I was listening to you speak. So what are some of the tangible things that you could point to? So besides the alignment and leaders that truly get it and truly want their people at the center, like what are some of the tangible things that you did that, you know, when people are like, how do we, you know, hey, this is really cool that she said we went from a low glass door rating to a high glass door rating. Like what are some things that you did to do that? So what are some of the programs you put in place to do that? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a couple of main things. And what's funny is as I share these, the listeners are going to be like, well, duh, that's not rocket science. And it's not like, it's that's not. the thing. Right. Yeah. That's what I want people to understand is like the, the transformation that we went through at Ceridian wasn't because we were a bunch of, you know, scientists and we had some secret code or formula. It was doing 
the right things for people at the right time. And so one of the, the biggest things that we did is, you know, we talk about giving power back to our employees. We created a lot more of a flexible work environment. So, you know, years before this wonderful pandemic that we're in, we had a very significant portion of our employees that were already virtual. We believed that work is what you do, it's not where you go. And we had built an infrastructure, even for some of our non-traditional roles, to where they could work from home. So, you know, at first it was difficult. We, we were thinking, how are we gonna put our support staff in their homes instead of being in the pod, answering the calls as they came in, but we made it work. We, we put in new technology, we put in better security. We did the things that we needed to do from a resource perspective to give far more flexibility to the employees. Uh, we got creative with our programs. We created something called Take Two, which was a wonderful program that went from Memorial Day to Labor Day when we first rolled it out. And anybody in the company could take two hours off anytime they wanted, and there was no manager approval needed. If I wanted to go get a mani-pedi on a you know, Wednesday morning, I could come in two hours late. If I wanted to go watch my kids' soccer game on a Thursday afternoon and leave work early, no questions. Um, that became such a huge hit that we ended up implementing it full-time, which was the first step to our fully unlimited time away from work program. Um, that was another thing. People said, you can't do that. You've got hourly associates in Saskatchewan, in Canada, in California. We have a fully unlimited time away from work program for every single one of our associates across the globe. Uh, we did things that were pushing the envelope, but they were the right things to do. And we made sure that the risk was calculated enough to where we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't break any laws or regulations and, and what have you. Um, the other thing that, that was really important and, and David and I went down this path after we went to a G, um, G100 event in New York City a few years ago. It was a CEO-CHRO combined event. And there was a speaker there that talked about the importance of removing what they called micro teams within your organization because micro teams actually stop the ability for leaders to lead and be um, you know, empowered and, and have the power they need. And so we went through an exercise within Ceridian where we started to really evaluate where we had too many layers of leadership where it didn't make sense. And we started to move those out and look at different ways to provide career opportunity for people that didn't require them being moved into a managerial type of role or leadership role. And so, you know, by removing some of those redundant layers, it gave people a lot more autonomy to make the right decisions. They didn't need to get approval for, you know, spending certain amounts of money or doing things. We literally let people lead and do what we brought them in to do. So how long, I mean, what, how long did you see, how long did it take to start to see that transformation? And then, you know, another question that, I mean, so you mentioned Glassdoor, which I think is interesting. Um, I'll, I'll just say that, interesting. But then the next question is, what are the things that you measure to actually show that you were moving that needle? Because you know, we have the traditional HR metrics, time to hire, cost per fit, mm. cost of fit, all that stuff. But what are the things that, that you actually measure that you can say confidently move that needle at Ceridian? Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned those because um, those types of metrics have, were never on my executive scorecard. They weren't what I reported out to David, to my peers, or even to our board um, after we went through our IPO. It, we focused very heavily on a couple of things. One was revenue per employee. We wanted to see that as we were streamlining and, and getting people 
um, freed up to really lead and to do the things that they needed to do that we were becoming far more efficient. And so we, we were continuously quarter over quarter measuring the, the revenue per employee. We looked um, and kept very close tabs on our Glassdoor score. Um, and, and we can speak about that separately. But then we got really focused on the, we did a correlation between our ENPS and our NPS scores and our cloud revenue. So we started actually measuring our own internal and I hate using the word engagement, but I'll use it for lack of a better term right now, but our own internal kind of sentiment in our organization. And we, we correlated that with our NPS. And what we were able to then do is see that as the, the actual EMPS ticked up, our NPS ticked up as well as our cloud revenue. So it became kind of a predictive indicator for us internally where, hey, if we start to see our engagement or our EMPS start to slip, we got to get in front of it because there's going to at some point be an impact to MPS, which then could actually impact shareholder value. So again, this is where you, you asked me the question earlier about HR people, you know, being able to do this. You got to stop thinking like an HR person and start thinking like a business person and measure things that actually matter that people want to hear about, like your CEO, your CFO and the board. And that's, those are the things that, that were really important. The other piece was we measured, um, we segmented our turnover by regrettable, non-regrettable. Um, we really didn't focus on our non-regrettable turnover. Everything that we talked about was the, the regrettable and getting in front of that because, again, as we started to see regrettable turnover go up, our EMPS scores were usually trending down. Okay. So it, it was by doing those correlations, we could make a meaningful business case to, you know, to our CFO and to others to say, look, we've got to invest in these areas because if we don't, we're going to see a slip and you should care about it because eventually it's going to hit us from a financial perspective. Now you said something that I can't not drill, you know, push into, which is that you hated using the word engagement. Um, you know, and you know, there's people that cringe um, when you say that because they probably hate using the word engagement too, but they don't know why they hate using it. Well, I think they know why, but they don't know what to call it or what else to say. So why did you say that? Why did you say you hate using the word engagement? You know, and, and I feel bad saying this because as I said in my intro, I actually manage some of the world's uh, largest employee engagement programs for very big companies. But here's the thing, no matter how efficient you get with an engagement survey, no matter the frequency or cadence and how you speed it up or you, you have shorter timeframes in between, engagement is still a lagging indicator on the health of your people and your organization. And to put so much emphasis on that, you're, you're putting your emphasis on things that it doesn't even matter because by the time you go out and you try to do something meaningful to impact it, which let's be honest, I have not seen a single organization do that really, really effectively. You're already dealing with things that may already have passed. Yeah. We ask questions about things we have zero intention of changing, yet we continue to ask people about it and we do nothing about it, which let's be honest, now we're disengaging our people anymore, even more. So it's, we've got to get to a point where you're, you're having more fluent and frequent and real-time conversations with people and taking the information that you're hearing and being able to action it on a, a real-time basis. Moving from annual to semi-annual does not close the gap. Moving from semi-annual to quarterly maybe closes it a little bit, but even then, let's be honest, it takes days if not weeks to get the information back into leaders' hands. Leaders don't wanna do anything with it. We sit around and we mull over it, and oh goodness, it's time to do it all over again. 
it, it's not worth our time. We, we've got to be more deliberate in getting out there and having those conversations in real time. And does it take time? Absolutely. But you don't not have the time to do it if you want your business to be successful in the future. Oh, these li our listeners are going to kill me, but I, every, I, I, I'm going to have you on every day. Um, so, but what is, sorry. Thank you. Every time you say something, I want to drill into the next level. So when did that change? So you said you, you know, administered some of the largest engagement programs in the world, you know, to now the fact, and you, you know, you and I are on the same page of this, is that, you know, we're not, you know, we're, that data is not good data. Mm -mm. Um, you know, was that always the case? Uh, it was it, did, did something change in macro in the world that all of a sudden made that? Is, has everything just sped up? Like, or have we been doing it wrong all along? I mean, in my opinion, we've been doing it wrong all along. Like, I, I think, you know, if, if you go back 10 years when I started my, my kind of foot into the engagement arena, I guess, I guess, oh gosh, it's been longer than that. Oh, I'm getting old. Um, World, the world was different. Um, our accessibility to information and data and, and technology was at a far slower pace. So it seemed like it was more acceptable to be what we were doing back then because it was like, well, what else is there? Like the, there's, there's no other way to do this. So I don't know that it was ever the right way to do it. Now I'm sure some of the people that are at Gallup and other places will tell me I'm wrong. Um, but that being said, you know, we, as we think about the future, that as the speed of accessibility to data and the vast amount of information that we've gotten has continued to evolve, it's disheartening to think that with all of those wonderful advancements that we still continue to look at things back from early 2000 as the right way to do things. And so I think it's absolutely the wrong way to do it. Um, I, you know, there's, there's companies out there in the tech space that are trying so hard to do it on a better, on a better pace. They're changing the game. They're, they're modifying the types of things we're asking. Um, but again, we're not, we're also not, in many instances, we're not taking the information that we get from our employees and doing something in terms of showing how it impacts the business. HR data for the sake of HR data, quite frankly, is useless to me, to, to CEOs, to CFOs. You have to take that data and you have to do some level of correlation to business outcomes. And that's why I love things like revenue per employee. That's not an HR thing. That's a finance thing. Yeah. But the things that we do within human resources drastically improve or decrease the, the revenue per employee within our organizations, yet many CHROs aren't held accountable. Many of them can't even tell you what the revenue per employee is. Yeah, no, I think I completely agree with you. And thank you for explaining that. I think it's, uh, it's helpful for people to hear that are even questioning what to, uh, how to think about it. So February 2020 to April 2020, lots of change, right? Lots of change in the world, lots of change in kids running around the house, uh, lots of change in jobs, lots of change in 401k and retirement balances. Like, think about that. Like, lots of change. And I shouldn't even, I could even say March to April. Yeah. Uh, and it sounds like there's some changes in your world also. Yes. So, you know, I'd love to hear, A, first of all, some of the changes in your world, but then B, what you think of the moment in time that we're in. Because, you know, I always say we're kind of at the intersection right now of opportunity and confusion. And we're just standing around as mm -hmm. leaders saying, okay, which way am I going to turn today? Am I going to be more confused or am I going to you know, be opportunistic? So mm -hmm. love to hear about where you're at personally 
and what you're doing, and then B, the moment in time that we're in, it will, some advice from you. Well, I have to laugh. And, and for anybody that's listening that follows me on, on Twitter, they probably saw this tweet from me last week, but I said, my house literally feels like Vegas in Minnesota right now. I have no concept of days or time. Um, drinks are acceptable at any time of the day because I have no concept of, of days or time and I'm losing money hand over foot. <laughs> so, um, that's really good. It, yeah, it, that, that's my new world. It's not really good, but it's a really good analogy. Yeah, it is. And I've got all three children at home at the same time trying to be on the internet, screwing up my bandwidth. So yeah. I told them all, I'm like, I'm going on to a podcast. Stay off the internet, please. What are they doing? Um, what's that? What are they doing? Well, you know, homeschooling, and they'll they'll have their laptop in front of them. No, I mean, what are they doing while you're on this podcast? Like, do they even know what to do during this moment? They're, of they're actually outside. My husband's painting the garage floor for some damn reason. I don't know why you do that, but my kids are out there helping him. This is boredom. This is boredom setting the end, and I want to get out of that house. Well, yes, he's got three daughters, a wife, and two female dogs. He hangs out in the garage as much as possible right now, yes. bless his heart. Um, but no, in all seriousness, so it's funny because between um, February and, and now, um, my life has changed drastically. I, I shared um, this uh, you know, with some folks earlier, but um, I went through a, a little bit of a health issue at the beginning of the year, had some surgery, um, doing wonderfully, by the way, but it gave me time to really sit back and just contemplate a lot of things in my own career where I wanted to go. And, and this was all pre-coronavirus. So um, I had made the decision that um, I wanted to transition out of Ceridian and move out of the chief people and culture role because I, I wanted to be able to go out and help coach other CHROs to do the things that I've been able to accomplish and, and help others personally and professionally. Cause you know, first and foremost, I am a mom and I know how hard it is to balance, you know, the integration and fluidity between work and life. And I wanted to be able to go in and help organizations experience the same type of transformation that Ceridian has. Cause back to our point earlier, it has nothing to do with being a tech company or an HCM company or the size of your HR budget. It's all about doing the right things for your people. And so I made the decision um, in uh, before all this happened. David and I had talked through it. Um, Ceridian is actually um, still one of my, it's my first customer. So I get to still work with them from a consulting perspective. But, you know, it's, it's, it's funny because as I was, I was saying to you, Jason, before we got on here, um, I've had lots of people say to me, you know, have you rethought your decision as these things started happening between February and, and yesterday was my, my last day at Ceridian? Um, and I, you know, uh, unwavering, no, none of this has changed my perspective. It's not changed my opinion because to your point, like we have to be courageous in this time. And I know it's really, really hard. I know people are afraid, they're anxious, they're uncertain, but this is an opportunity for us to really rise up and lift each other up and come together and support one another. And as I said, you know, when we first started, I love the fact that I am seeing people like you every single Friday. I'm having conversations with you on a much more regular basis. I've talked to other analysts and CHROs far more frequently over the past few weeks than I ever have before. And so for me, it was about staying the course. I, I joke, this is my last chapter. I have you know one more series of years that I'm going to blaze a trail ahead of me, and then I'm going to sit back and, and enjoy hopefully retirement, whatever that looks like, might be a little bit longer now given my 401k is, is smaller. But um, all joking aside, it, this is an opportunity for us to think differently. And, and what I'm hoping comes out of this is that 
organizations that got it before continue to evolve and continue to do amazing things for their people. I hope for those organizations who are faking it till they're making it right now, take the time to really step back when this kind of clears and rethink their people strategy and how that aligns to their business strategy. And God forbid, if you're one of the organizations that is continuing to do what you've always done, um, call me, <laughs> I'll help you. Um, because th this really is a time for us to drastically think differently about the way that we implement strategies within our organization. And if you, if you haven't created that link between your people and business strategy, damn, you better do it when this ends, when this is over, or you're going to be challenged to find amazing people because people are watching. They're, they're watching behaviors, they're watching brands. Uh, and, it, and if you're not doing the right things right, right now, it's going to impact you from a, a talent and from a customer perspective. Your employee experience and customer experience will forever be damaged. So we're recording this on the day that, you know, the new jobs number came out where we take mm -hmm. last week's job number and this week's job number and it equals about 10 million. Um, what does that mean to you as a chief people officer or, you know, and a leader in this space? You know, it, it, it's, it's absolutely, like I say, we shouldn't be alarmed about certain things. This is alarming. Um, and and I, it's alarming for a lot of different reasons. One, you know, organizations and HR teams, no matter how advanced or sophisticated they are, aren't, they weren't prepared to deal with this by any means. You know, I, I joke about the fact we have a technology platform. I don't know if they should be, by the way. You know, no, I mean, they shouldn't. Yeah. You're, yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely right. But I, I think about some of the companies that um, I've partnered with over the years, you know, and, and just thinking about some of their processes and what their infrastructure looks like, even those with the best HCM software in their organization couldn't process this type of, of workflow and throughput in a reasonable amount of time, because to your point, they should have never had to think about this. Yeah. Um, but when you think about just the the impacts of the families, like I hear so much on Twitter and see so much and read so much about, you know, the, the health and, and things of the people, this goes far beyond the health. And I'm not in negating the, the relevance and importance of this. There are so many people dying from this and it's so incredibly disheartening. But there are so many unexpected consequences and implications that we haven't even started to consider yet that are going to stay with us for months and years after this virus has left us. And, and for organizations, we're going to have to be really thoughtful and deliberate about how we revamp our talent acquisition strategies when we do go back to hiring. We're, we're going to have to think about the types of uh, things that we're looking for from people who might be unemployed for elongated periods of time and, and take away some of the, the things that we would normally screen people out for. It's just going to change the way we behave um, from all sides of this. And I hope to God it, I hope to God it starts to right size itself quickly because I, I can't imagine seeing those numbers next week or in a month be 15 million. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, you have, you're such an interesting person, Lisa, and there's so much to talk about. Um, but I do want to get to one more thing just from the time we have. Um, and then at the end, we'll wrap up and, you know, we'll make sure in the show notes, we let people know how to reach you and things like that. But you've also been really focused on starting this new network, um, you know, and, and I'd be remiss if I didn't, you know, give you the opportunity to talk about it because it's something that's very important to me. Um, and I know it's important to you. So, you know, I'd love for you just to give a little bit of a plug, I'll just say, 
you know, but also um, more than a plug, uh, uh, why this is important and why you and why now um, around, you know, this network that you've started. Yeah, absolutely. So it, it's, it's funny, you know, all the things that um, seem to come to fruition always come out of really simple conversations or ideas. And um, a dear friend and previous colleague of mine, uh, Christina Cleary, she used to be the chief marketing officer at Ceridian uh, before she launched her own business. We were just having a Twitter conversation a week and a half ago about um, not being able to have happy hour. <laughs> like, you know, something, again, that seems so silly that we're talking about it. We're like, oh, when's the next time we're actually going to see each other and, and have a glass of wine? And so what literally was a, a back and forth uh, quick chitter or Twitter chat um, turned into a virtual women's network um, that we launched last uh, Monday. And as of this morning, we have over 425 members already of women across the globe from all walks of life, from all different types of industries, roles, um, different stages of their, their, their lives. And we, we created this group initially because it was like, hey, look, like, let's, let's create a forum to connect women. Let's close the distance. We talk about social distancing. I call it virtual inclusion. Um, and we wanted to close that distance between women. Like, let's give women an out when they're feeling uncertain. Maybe their kids are driving them crazy. Let's get together for Wine Wednesdays. We'll jump on a Zoom. We'll have a glass of wine or your favorite beverage. And we'll just talk. Last night, we shared wonderful ideas on books and TV shows. And we've got one of the most incredible like libraries now of books that, um, that we shared. But it's more than that. Now we're starting to bring in speakers. Um, for those of you listening, we've asked dear Jason to come speak and he has agreed. It's not just for women. Um, but we also announced uh, Natalie Kogan is joining us uh, in April. She's the, the CEO and founder of The Happier Method. Um, and I have another exciting one that I'm, I'm waiting to launch. But um, this really is a group that is designed now to lift women up, to come together and to build an opportunity for women to have courage and confidence, to gain knowledge from one another. And we know that collectively we can lift each other up and go demand the type of equality that we are looking for, whether it's around pay, it's around opportunity, whatever, rather than going after each individual issue that we want to face, we're collectively coming together and just trying to raise women up and close that, that gap between us and um, and one another and us and other men. So um, anyone that is listening, if you are if you are interested in, in joining, it's really simple to find us. You can go to Facebook, um, search Virtual Women's Network, submit your request, and uh, myself or, or Casey will, uh, will approve you. Um, you can reach me on LinkedIn if you're not on Facebook. And I think we've been talking about, Jason, moving it over, and we're moving part of it at least over to Slack um, so that we can bring the communities of the now of work and, and the now digital meetup together with this group. So um, more to come in the coming weeks, but it's something that is is really going to be important for women during this time, but also for men. We want men at the table because we can all agree as women that we all want more, but we can't just sit at the table and talk about it. We need other people, men included, to come help change the future. And now's the time. Well, thank you for uh, thank you for everything that you're doing. It's great to hear about that, and I love the fact. I mean, think about the viral nature of it that you've got you know over 400 people in just a short period of time. I mean, you and Christine are both amazing women. Oh, um, thank you. But you know, the ability to uh, to grow at that that quickly is uh, great. So you know, just in closing, so I always close and ask you to to say one more thing. I always close with OMT. I call it one more thing, but. How do people get a hold of you if they need to? Uh, 
with all of the different forms of media they are, and we'll put it in the show notes. Um, sounds like Twitter is a popular place and LinkedIn is a popular place for you. Yeah, and I'm just Lisa Emma's in uh, Marie Sterling on Twitter and Lisa Sterling on uh, on a LinkedIn. Um, those are probably the two easiest ways. I I'm on there far more than I am in in email. Um, so if you want to DM me or, or connect with me, please reach out. Um, I'm always I'm always looking to expand my network with other intelligent, uh, thought-provoking folks. So reach out. Are you, and, uh, are you Instagram, uh, TikTok? Are you doing TikTok with the girls? Or? I'm not. I Well, I shouldn't say that. I'm on TikTok in my daughter's videos, <laughs> but I am not. I don't have my own profile in TikTok on purpose. Um, but I'm, at, yes, all over Instagram. Um, I also, if you're interested in, in hearing my journey as a mom, I have a blog called uh, Mama Llama's World. Um, and it's just www.mamalamasworld, and you can hear how much of a hot mess uh, I am sometimes with my kids and my family. <laughs> no, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So one more thing. Um, one more thing that you want to share with the listeners that, uh, you know, you would t- just you know, optimism, you know, a piece of advice, you know, how do we move forward? Yeah, you know, uh, given where I'm at in my my life right now and the fact that I chose, and I know it was it, it's what's right for me, choosing to step away from literally everything I've known in the past and pause and take this time to reimagine, reinvent, and reinvest in myself and a future for my family and the time that I need with my kids, you're never going to get this time back. And, and I know it's chaotic. And for people like you, Jason, you're working more now than you ever have. But if you are fortunate enough to have all of your children home from university or college or whatever, look at the bright side of these things. I see so many posts on Instagram and Facebook and other things of how people's kids are driving them crazy. They're going to be gone soon. And, and there's, you know, there's, there's that time that you have with them. I truly believe this this is a time that we can make the most out of this and we can really pause and take advantage of the people that are around us, the time that we have and do some good. Stop focusing on all of the negative. Yeah, there's bad things happening, but there are really, really good things coming out of this too. No, that's great. That's, uh, that's great, great advice. And, you know, you said I'm working more than, uh, than I have before. Um, you know, the fun thing is, is that, uh, or the good thing about it is I'm having more fun than I've ever had before. So. And part of that is just talking to people like you. So um, thank you so much for taking the time, Lisa. Really, really appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on. And I'm excited to come uh, speak to your network at some point as well. Well, thank you. And it was uh, it was my pleasure to be here. So I appreciate the offer. I don't get a chance to say this a lot, but I, I've said it to you before, but I'll say it again just on this. Congratulations on your life choice because, um, you know, it's easy to have an idea. It's a lot harder uh, to take that leap and to execute on an idea and, and passion. So, you know, not that you need it, but thank it's you. fun to watch and do that. Well, thank you. Uh, I've been inspired by you for years. So uh, I've watched you do this a number of times. So I'm going to be looking to you for some advice along Let's the way. Let's go. It'll be fun. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thanks again. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye.